0: Oh, senior high school, I can tell you exactly what what I was listening to. Lauren Hill. Hi, everyone. This is Ben Guest, and for today's episode, we have three separate conversations. The first is with Coach Pam Borton. Coach Borton is the former women's basketball coach at the University of Minnesota, where she led the team to the Final Four. Second interview is with Brian McKay. Brian is an award-winning podcast producer and host, and was recently nominated for an Emmy Award for producing the Nothing But Net podcast with Debbie Antonelli. And third interview is with Linda Dunn. Linda is a consultant for authors who are looking to boost their social media presence. So the first interview is with Coach Borton, and we discuss leadership and the book writing process. One of the interesting things when you become a coach is that's just how people see you and your playing days as far as your players are concerned they don't even care who was the best coach you had
1: well i i would say they all were best in their own ways i learned so much from every coach that i had and i had a you know i go back to high school and i had a cross country coach and he had so many strengths that i learned from as well and i can't believe i ran cross country in high school but he was um he was so empathetic. He was so supportive. He wasn't really that tough, um, and it just really made you want you want to run. Not that you wanted to run in spite of him. Um, my high school basketball coach was tough, very tough. I learned some lessons that I would never um, I would never do to anyone else, but it made me tougher and it made me you know, I'm going to do this in spite of you type of thing, which really motivated me as well. Um, My college uh, track coach and basketball coaches, I mean, they were all so different. And I think you just take so many different attributes and characteristics from each one of those coaches and really kind of make it your own as you kind of go on that coaching journey yourself. And, but they all impacted me so differently. And I had such a great experience with each one of them.
0: I love that, especially what you related about your cross-country coach, because I think we're slowly, and and this is some of the work that you do, we're slowly coming around to the idea of the best coaches are the ones who are positive, who are encouraging, who are empathetic. Um, And I want to kind of get into the details of that in a bit, but for so long, we've celebrated tough, demanding, insulting um, angry coaches who intimidate players. Um, so I, I think it's so important to celebrate that there are other ways to coach. In fact, those ways are more productive. Um, what, what are your thoughts about that?
1: Well, I think in, to, in today's world, in the 21st century, that's, that's what's expected from coaches. Um, you know, that old Bobby Knight way and, and throwing chairs and getting in people's faces and pushing and shoving and grabbing jerseys and, you know, all of the profanity that you would hear, um, you know, on the court, but you would hear worse things than profanity um, in practice. Um, You know, but I think coaches back then, they thought it made you more mentally tough. It made you tougher if you can take this, you're going to be successful in games. And it was just a way, a different way of motivation and, um, you know, to, you know, what, what, how they thought you built grit and perseverance, but in today's world, I mean, you couldn't get away with that. You can't, you can't get away with that. Those types of coaches aren't around anymore. And, you know, You get lawsuits slapped on you with mental and emotional abuse, or you get fired as a coach if you even try to cross that line today.
0: Mm. And That's a good thing. Yes. Okay. How was coaching different from what you thought coaching would be?
1: Well, when I first got into coaching, um, I started coaching Division I college basketball when I was 22 years old. And the reason I got into the game was because I just, I love competition. I love to teach. I love practice. um, I love to win. And, you know, just, you know, coaching at that level was just um, a rush and working with those types of athletes. And, you know, as, as my career progressed from 22 years old to um, you know, 27 years down the road coaching division one basketball you know, you were an educator, you were teaching, you were modeling, and then fast forward, you're running a multi-million dollar business. And so coaching changed from, um, you really didn't want to change in your mindset because you really always would take yourself back to like, why did I start coaching? You always have to remember your why was the teaching part, the educate the educator, um, but then, you know, fast forward, you go and you're running a multi-million dollar business and you're expected to win at a really high level or you get fired. And so that's how the game changed. And, um, you know, you're running it like a business, not necessarily you're running it just, you know, because I love to teach.
0: Right. That why is so important. In your work that you're doing now, consulting with huge organizations, businesses, teams, how do you help them find their why? I'm sorry for the listeners. Uh, as my longtime listeners know, there's construction continuing to go on in my apartment above mine, so there's some noise there. Sorry about that. But how do you help teams find their why?
1: Well, you you have to start with purpose, and you know I do that a lot with uh, executive teams and leadership teams today. Um, I coach not just individuals, but I coach uh, those types of teams. But you start there. You have to. There's a reason why your team exists. And you have to help them understand like why they exist today. You know, what is their purpose? And, um, you know, that deeper purpose, not just for their organization, but for the entire ecosystem. And, you know, that's really important. And that's what helps the people on that team really get out of bed in the morning, put their two feet on the floor and rush to your computer or rush rush to the office. But everybody has to have a purpose and meaning. And you know, in today's age, the millennials, you know, on that generation that's coming into the workplace, I think there's some crazy stat out there, like 86 or 87% of, you know, those individuals want purpose and meaning in their work and helping them find that is motivating and it's inspiring and it brings people together.
0: Yeah, I love that. Love that. Um, What do you see, we we talked a little bit about high school coaches earlier, coaches in general, what do high school, younger high school coaches tend to get wrong that you're seeing?
1: The first thing that pops into my mind is they just, they focus way too much on the technical skills that are happening on the field or on the court or in the pool um, or on the track. And I would say 100% of their focus is on teaching them the skills of the game. And what gets lost is they're not teaching them how to um, become mentally fit and developing their emotional capacity and really helping them find purpose on why do you play this game? You know, why are you out here? And I think, you know, you go back to the why with the youth sports and it's like, I want to play with my friends or I love the game. And sometimes you know, depending on what's happening in their life and mental health is such an issue today, every one of those um, individuals needs to remember why they're playing the game. And that's what keeps them going back to the field and back to the court.
0: Yeah, and I know you've talked in other interviews about the importance of relationships. And that was, you know, my journey as a coach when I was in my twenties, it was about wins and, and getting credit and you know devising cool plays um and and then as you grow it's about people and, and the line i always come back to is for every player whatever sport it's going to end at some point but people will always remember how you made them feel
1: yes it's a great quote from uh Um, one of the famous quotes for sure. But, you know, it's, it's really, you know, as a coach, you're an educator first, you're an educator and, you know, what do coaches do? You know, coaches motivate, they inspire and they make a difference and impact in people's lives. That is number one. And if that's not why you coach um, I would, you know, really ask the coaches is to, you know, ask yourself, you know, why do you coach the game and, you know, what is your agenda? And you're in it for the for these kids to have a great experience, and not just the wins and losses and the coach's ego and whatever whatever that reason is. It's really important,
0: and yeah, one hundred percent agree. and and for me, and I, I imagine this is true for most people. When I focused on that, I won more than I ever had. um. What are the keys to having a positive mindset?
1: What are the keys of having a positive mindset? I, I think number one is understanding the benefits of, you know, of having a positive mindset. You know, number one, it's, it makes you happier. It's, it's, it's great for your mental health and your well-being. It gives you a more optimistic and positive outlook on life. Um, you know, you just look at things different. You look at the glass, you know, overflowing instead of being half full and it just really changes your your whole mood and your attitude, and you just show up differently. And you know that positivity really can take you a long way. That you know I call it the power of positivity. And um, you know what what is happening between our ears is about eighty percent of our success. That that mental capacity and that belief in ourselves. So it's really really important. Um, you know, you look at the other side of the coin, if you don't have that positive mindset, you know, you could be, you know, spiraling out of control. And, and um, that's something that no one wants to experience. So it's really, really important to develop that mindset of positivity.
0: When you, so you're now running On Point Next Level, and you're consulting with a bunch of different organizations. When you come in and assess a company, an organization, a team, um, what, are you, what are you looking at? How, how does that process work?
1: Well, you, you have to start where the team is at. You meet the team where they're at. And, um, you know, all the teams that we have worked with, they all are starting at different starting points. But you, you know, you really, you do a little assessment, a little discovery phase on you know, really kind of where teams are. And I would say the same thing with sports teams are they're, they're not any different. Um, you take a look at the culture and you take a look at the leader, you take a look at all of the the players and all the, all of the, um, individual team members on the team and, um, and you really do a, a huge assessment, but I do have a model and approach that I do take with teams you know, and I know you're going to be really surprised to hear this, but the first step is um, really understanding what a team's purpose is. And that brings a team together because they're all there for the, for the same reason. So it's really, really important. Um, But it's, it's a whole process and a whole approach that I take teams through to really help them build team structure and a culture.
0: And speaking of process, what was your process for, for writing your book?
1: Oh, it, well, my first book, I have two books out now. My first book, my process was a hot mess. I'll just say, I'll just say that. you know, I think the first time that that um, we all do anything for the first time, it's like you learn by making a lot of mistakes and you know, spending a lot of money that you didn't have to spend before because you thought that this person that you were working with was competent or um, this editor or that marketing person or, um, that PR firm or whatever that is, I think you learn by making mistakes. Um, I've always taken risks. I've always learned by failing, making mistakes, and you learn so much quicker, you know, kind of going through that mess. Um, the second time around, I had a process. And, you know, I had a process, I had a roadmap. Um, I knew who I had on my team this time. I didn't have to, you know, hire people, trial, trial and error, but I surrounded myself with the right people. I had a process. I stayed focused and disciplined and um, really stayed organized throughout the whole thing. So I felt really good about the second time around.
0: Boy, focus, discipline and organization. Those three things together, it's it's hard to beat.
1: It is. Then that's that's uh, actually part of your mental training. Those are three skills that that really in everything that we do, especially in in sports and in the executives that I work with because of everything that's going on in their world is staying disciplined, staying organized, and um, staying focused um, because there's so much going on in everybody's lives.
0: Last question. You recently, last month, you had your leadership summit. Could you talk about that? Maybe share a story or two?
1: Yes. Well, that's our signature summit. Um, We started uh, this business about six years ago, going on seven, and this was our signature summit. And we have women from all industries, from all over, actually all over the world that we've had attended in the past. And it is a one of a kind. It's about a two and a half day leadership summit. Um, We focus on passion, people, and performance. Um We integrate well-being every morning. We either do yoga, we go for a walk, we run, we do something active really to start the day to really help these women kind of get some structure in their lives because everybody um, really um, has those excuses for ourselves that we're too busy to implement well-being into our lives. Um, but it's really it's a really helping women to connect with other women outside of their own industries outside of their own organizations, really create a safe space for people to really come and share. Um, it's professional development, it's networking, it's team building. Um, we focus on, uh, we give people a couple of assessments as well. Um, but We try to have them all over the country and we have them in places that I like to travel to, Ben. <laughs> so, but no, it's a really impactful. A summit. We only do one or two a year, and it's something that we will continue to do. Um, you know, for those women that want to connect with other people outside of their own industry.
0: Fantastic, Coach. This has been a great treat. Please let people know um, the titles of your books, where they can buy your books, and if they want to engage you in your company, please let them know how to do that.
1: Yes. Well, everybody can find me on LinkedIn. It's Pam Borton, B-O-R-T-O-N, and people, a lot of people connect with me through LinkedIn, Uh, people can go to my website. I have a website just for my book. It's pambortonpartners.com if they want to buy both of my books. Um, My first book is called On Point, and it's a coach's game plan to uh, life, leadership, and performance. And my second book is The Crooked Rim, and that's Mastering Your Mindset and Strengthening Resilience um, for Personal and Professional Excellence. So Um, Ben, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with a crooked rim and how difficult that would be to, for that round ball to go through a crooked rim. So, um, but yeah, and then my, my business website is onpointnextlevel.com. So there's a lot of places that people can find me and, um, but thanks for having me as your guest today, Ben.
0: No, no, it's, it's my pleasure. And so for the listeners out there, Two great books to look at, and if your company, organization, team needs to get to their next level, hire next level coach. Thanks so much, Coach. Thanks, Ben. So that was Coach Pam Borton. My second interview is with Brian McKay, or BMAC, and I've known BMAC for a long time, going back to both of us working at the University of Mississippi, and I met Brian when he was a team manager with the women's basketball team. Brian now co-hosts and produces several podcasts and is an Emmy Award nominee for his Nothing But Net podcast that he produces, which features Coach Debbie Antonelli. He is also the co-host of the Mac and T Show and the co-host or the host of the B-Side podcast. In this conversation, Brian and I talk Mississippi basketball and sports and best practices for a podcast. Enjoy. B-Mac, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, nice. Nice. uh, Thank you for having me. So first question I ask, senior year of high school, what music are you listening to?
2: Oh, senior year of high school. I can tell you exactly what what I was listening to. Lauryn Hill, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. That must have been 99. It was 2001. Oh, nice.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. What's your favorite song on that
2: album? Oh, any of them. <laughs> if you, uh, literally, if you played, if you just played the whole CD. In fact, I, like I would tell you before we came on, I'm headed to Oxford, Mississippi tomorrow on a trip, and that's going to be one of the things I have uh, in my Amazon Music playlist in rotation.
0: What's cool, I mean, that's my favorite single album of all time, oh. single disc album of all time. And... What's cool about it, one of the many great things about it is somebody could tell you that their favorite song on that album is any of the songs on the album, and you'd be <laughs> like, yeah, I get that. Like, they're all great. Exactly. The only thing, how, how do you feel about this, the, like, the little, the in-between
2: parts with the kids? Those, I, I, at that point, it seemed like everybody was doing them, doing it like that, you know, you had a little in between mm-hmm. like Tupac would have his little deal where he'd have little pieces in between of his songs and uh it seemed like that was the par for the chorus back then so it didn't it bothers me more now <laughs> because honestly most and I wouldn't even consider Lauren a rapper but when you talk about rap nowadays it's hard to even understand what these cats are saying <laughs> so uh but no it didn't you know I skip, you know, just kind of skip by them. Mentally and physically, you just kind of skip by them when you're playing that CD. Yeah, the only
0: thing, I mean, I, I, I'm i not a fan of them. Um, but like you said, everybody was doing it back back then. What, what I don't like is that they're not their own independent tracks, but that they're part of the song track. Right. So it's like I can't just make a, a mix, you know, and and leave those things out. Like you, they're they're embedded in right. the song. All right. Well, off air, we were talking, and I said, let's kind of dive into two two different subjects: um, okay. coaching and podcasting. And you've been um, around great coaching for for a long time. So, what are your what are your thoughts about coaching? What makes a great coach?
2: I think to be a great coach, you have to be able to relate, and if you can relate to your players and more importantly if you can get them to buy into what you want to what you want to do out there whether it be on the court on the on the playing field wherever you're coaching you can get them to buy in you can get them to understand that you that you're there for them you care about them that, that that's that's the key to the buy in if you can get them to understand that you're there for them you care about them you care you're there to help them to that you're there to make them a better player, better person, whatever it is. If they understand that about you, you can be any kind of coach you wanna be because they, mm-hmm. they're they gonna buy into it. And perfect example of that, my dad, like I was telling you high school coach for almost 30 years down here, high school girls basketball coach on the Mississippi Gulf coast. He, uh, I always thought he was half crazy. I mean, he would come in, after every loss ranting and raving and he would go to Hollywood you know just just be he would just be the 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 bobby knights of the world uh he would have that kind of mentality but here i am just being he retired the year katrina hit down here so 2005 and we're almost 20 years later you know 15 years later and <laughs> uh we actually had a a player, his a good friend of mine, died of COVID in the last couple of weeks, mm. and the outpouring of stories, and, you know, about her, and about my dad, and the way these kids, now they're all in their 30s and 40s, <laughs> but the way they talk about his impact, it went from talking about Mary, who was the, the young lady that died, to talking about his impact on all of them, So I know for a fact he can be as wild and crazy as he was, he got them to buy in and got them to understand he cared about them and they all loved him for it. Can you share one of the stories they told? Um, Let's see, (laughs) things that you forget, Uh, let's see. There was a story about, it actually actually had, let's see, I was probably a sophomore, so yeah, this is like 1999. There was a high school down here who had just built a new gym. And he uh it was one of them situations where we're going into halftime, we're not playing well. He's coming in like a ball of fire, he's you know going and kicking things and throwing this, throwing markers and this that he kicks a box that was uh looked like a toilet. It, 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 they were installing toilets at the time in the new gym, and they just had the box over on the side where the box goes all the way up his leg, and he, he's shaking it off, just shaking it off. Yeah, so they had a good laugh about that after the game, because out of school we, we made a run, come back and win, and you, you can laugh about those things after the fact. Uh, another good story is a manager friend of mine, she, who she was a couple years older than me, but uh, she would tell this story about how Coach McKay went from uh he he was bad about taking those expo markers and just you know just beating them beating them to death and you know just he went from doing that to tearing uh ankle wrap tape that little he he would tear the little tape and he would just tear pieces off and just throw it behind him it was like a nervous tick i guess something to keep him occupied while he's coaching and latoya latoya uh gosh what was her last name anyway latoya uh, would tell the story about how she would go home and when the expo, during the expo days, she would go home with expo marker all, all over her dress. Then it went from expo markers to the ripping of the pieces of the tape and she would go home with little bitty balls of tape all over the bottom of her dress.
0: <laughs> So. I love it. I love it. So that you know coaching kind of on the edge of anger or over the edge of anger how much of that was your your dad is legitimately angry and how much of it was performance
2: more performance because he was one of those like you and i were talking about a couple of coaches we'll bring up later uh just real prepared real you know he might not have had the best talent on on the court, you know, team wise, but he was always very, very prepared. Had chances to get, gave his team a chance to win or a chance to compete with teams that probably they had no business being in the in the gym with. But um, it, it would be more performance. It would not necessarily anger. You know, it was just performance. Uh, I just got through telling. In fact, I got another good story. Speaking of. He uh called a player of his one time um, he, he asked her because they had just got through practice for two weeks straight going into the district tournament and it was a kid I can't think of her name because this is this is going way back but because I was maybe five or six at the time but there's this kid that was just lights out shooter I mean could just let it let it fly from anywhere on the court and they ran this play to get her open where they pick and roll and she popped out. And he went for about three weeks straight leading up to the tournament, showing this one kid of his who was his best defender how to guard it and how to just get around it. And she and she had it was rolling leading up to the game. Well, the first two possessions of the game, she goes under the screen when she's supposed to be going above the screen because he had been going over and on and on for that for three weeks. And he calls the timeout because she hits two, three corners in a row and we're down six to nothing. Start the game. Called the timeout. He told her, he said. Luann are you stupid <laughs> and she told him years later um when she came come over to the house it, this is one of those stories that you know you, you can tell that the girls loved him because she comes back and she tells him that story she said you know coach McKay you and my dad are the only two people in the world I'd let call me stupid
0: <laughs> and, and it gets to the point of you know when you're coaching obviously you and I know coaching basketball. When you're coaching basketball, you're trying to teach individual skill sets. You're trying to teach team strategy. um, You're trying to build team camaraderie. And then ultimately, hopefully, you're you're trying to impart greater life lessons. But it's the idea of um, getting players to be able to focus. Right, right. That, that's sort of like a, it's it's not the same as teaching how to shoot a free throw or left-handed layup or you know box out or whatever. But it's like, how do you impart the skill of I'm focused, and if I'm focused, then I can you know adapt um, as as to what the coach wants me to do. And that's a very difficult thing to. I mean, I think most young coaches don't think about how do you teach somebody to focus. But that's really ultimately what your dad was doing there. He was he was trying to get her to focus on the task at hand.
2: Yeah, my uh, younger brother, who just started out his teaching career, he's teaching down here on the coast, and he's just started this year. He's an assistant coach on the girls' basketball team at the high school he's at, and he's having that conundrum as we speak. He's trying to get young kids who are coming off a year where – he's working for the new head coach. Um, They're coming off a year where they won one game – and, and um uh, they're just a bunch of kids that when you're having a you got that culture of losing, they're used to losing and, and it's just not a matter of of just kind of like a ho-hum, like kind of shrug your shoulders type deal. That's how they feel about things right now. And he's trying to get them to buy into the new way and get them to and he comes home with a different story every day. So yeah, he, he's definitely in that younger group that is trying to figure out how to come in and get these kids to focus.
0: Right. So, so what is that, what's that journey from a younger coach to an older coach? Like what are the big things that change? Do you think?
2: I honestly think it's uh, the more, you know, the more, you know, the more you learn, the easier it becomes like, you know, he he's, the questions that he'll ask, he knows, because he's grown up in a house, the same house I grew up in, he knows mm-hmm. basketball, I know Craig knows basketball, so there will be questions that he asks that are just out of fear, of, or, or just not fear, but just, he probably questioning himself, whether, you know, he's good enough, or what he, he understands this enough, and I think with years of doing it, and years of practice, learning as much as you can, I think the more that you know, the more you learn, the more you've done it, the more comfortable you become, and I mm. think that helps out, in, along the journey. So it's yeah. a journey that he'll 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 get he'll get it he'll get it going. I'm not, and, and I think part of
0: that is patience. That was when I was a coach in my 20s. Everything had I had to address everything now. Yes, if there was an issue, you know, it, it, it was an issue now. And I remember as an assistant coach, before I became a head coach, working for a legendary high school coach in Mississippi, George Willis, and he would just, and he'd been coaching for 25 years, 26 years at that point, and he would just let shit slide. And I used to, it used to bug me. And I was like, why is he, you know, maybe somebody says something out of the corner of their mouth or, you know, somebody shows up late or somebody skips practice, whatever. And it would bug me. And as I came back to coaching in my late thirties, I was so much more patient and I would let shit slide because it's not that big a deal. Once you've been through the, through a few seasons, you have much more of a bigger picture in mind. And you know that the little things that that inevitably happen, those little flare ups that happen, that um, it doesn't, it's going to be as big a deal as you make it. Right. And, and, you know, as a young coach, everything was a big deal and everything was through the lens of, you know, is this player disrespecting me? Right. And when I was older, it was, everybody's got stuff going on. You don't know what's happening when they leave the gym, when they leave practice. Um, and let's just relax. You know, we're going to nine times out of 10 that something's going to work itself out and I don't even need to do anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I definitely, I, I can see that And my, going back to my dad, I, I, my dad in our home is the most impatient man I've ever met in my life. Outside uh-huh. of the home, I can, I've seen him in certain situations where I think to myself, how is he, how, how is this the same person? So I can definitely see that. And my brother, as far as you, you talk about how you take into account in your 30s, you were talking you're you're seeing kids and you don't know what they got going on at home my brother is the type who worries about all of that so i know eventually it's going to be a, a situation where it works at all all out in his head so he's gonna be fine
0: yeah no no for sure and, and of course that's that's what coaching's about coaching is about caring about other people um and and trying to to help people the way i think about it now is you know um everybody needs to help each other be better people Uh that that's really what it's about and then from there hopefully everything else will take care of itself so then you worked at the university of mississippi for a fantastic um ncaa coach and carol ross what uh what was coach ross like what's her coaching style like what did you learn from her (laughs)
2: <laughs> if there was uh, just as i grew up with a jacqueline hyde character carol ross uh was just like my dad in that regard where she could be a jacqueline it, hey I, me and her we get we send i send her christmas cards every year we we like but well when i was working for her <laughs> you never knew what was coming and it it was the exact same time that, um, the time I was there at Ole Miss, same time was the uh the movie The Devil Wears Prada comes out. And I'm telling this story, and I know Jennifer Ladner uh is gonna kill me. <laughs> Renee Ladner's daughter that was a manager with me at the time. She uh we used to jokingly refer to Carol as the devil wears Nikes because <laughs> she could be uh, but it was just in, it was just her way and just the way. know just like my dad just intense um very detail-oriented that was something that i learned from her she uh just the the detail everything was in detail (laughs) the devil the devil's in details Uh, she structure um knowing what you're gonna you know knowing what you want to accomplish each practice don't go into a practice without having a plan Knowing, you know, you know, because practice leads to your games. And if you're not, you know, got anything accomplished in practice, you're not going to get anything accomplished when it comes to the actual game plan. Um, yeah, so details, uh, practice structure, uh, just so much. I mean, it's things that I, I've already grown up learning, but, you know, when it's different, when it's not your family teaching you, it's somebody other than your family and you just can get reaffirmed.
0: Mm-hmm. And then after Coach Ross, it was Coach Ladner who you just mentioned. What what were the differences between Coach Ross and Coach Ladner when they were both head coaches?
2: Uh, Coach Ladner was crazy. <laughs> that was uh, that was a and everybody who knows that about her, she's just a five foot ball of fire that could come in and um, one day she might be. Uh, wrestling Amber Watts to the floor. Uh, the next day she may be, you know, climbing the wall. She might she might kick a basketball way up in the stands. And it's, but there was all a method to it. She, you know, she showed her crazy, but underneath that crazy. And this is why, like, she just got, like I was telling you before we came on air, she just retired after this past year. She could have gone, even in this day and time, being that wild, you know, that wild child is what I used to call her. Uh, she could have gone a couple more years because her kids loved her. Her kids knew that underneath that crazy, she loved them, just like we, you know, going full circle about what we're talking about earlier. I mean, long as they know that you love them, you can get away with anything and they, mm. they'll buy into it. Mm. So for,
0: for for the listeners, I apologize. There's, there's a little bit up in New York City, there's a little bit of construction, the apartment above mine. So you might hear a little bit of, of banging away up there so let's talk podcasting you have uh well so tell tell the listeners about the podcast that you produce
2: okay well my first uh i always i say my first is the one i started in 2014 yeah because it's coming up to be our seventh year The so 2014 uh the mac and t show i do it with a good friend of mine t davis who played for carol ross in florida was carol ross's ga at old miss um so we have a connection there and that's how we met um she and i know that t is one of those people that i i, I gotten real big into listening to podcast at that time and you know i was listening to adam adam carolla you had all kind of different that were starting out all the all the you know they're all big time names now uh seth seth uh no, a Joe Rogan's podcast, all, all of those. And I got to where I listened to that more than I listened to music when I would work out or anything like that. Um, so I said, I want to start one. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm just kind of going to go into it. Um, but I was like, I know I can't do it by myself. I'm not comfortable enough to go into it, doing it by myself. Uh, I need somebody to do it with me. And I thought of tea because I talk to tea every day. And T, uh, our podcast if you know for anyone that that listens you can follow it at the back t show facebook twitter instagram and it gets you to all the links to listen to them uh, they they're literally conversations that we would have uh you perfect example you i asked her when you asked me to come on your show i told her i said hey i gotta ask to come on being guest podcast you remember being guest and she remembers meeting you back when she was working with Carol and we went from, do you remember being guest?" all the way to something that happened just last week? We just went through a whole line of telling story after story and what something that happened just last week with the basketball team. I mean, we went all the way down the line. So I know that you know, if, if I just- And, that, and that's topic, your
0: normal conversation with right. T. Like you're just going to go all over the place and it's going to be interesting.
2: Yeah. And we'll, we'll throw a topic out there and just talk and, you know, whether it be college basketball or she's a big Laker fan. So right now she's all excited because, you know, the Lakers are the old man, uh, <laughs> the old man crew that she's hoping to bring them another championship. Uh, so we're, we'll talk about that and just, it, you know, we just throw a topic out there and have, have like a conversation like we would just any other day. Um, I have the B side, which is just strictly me. But it's me interviewing people. Like last year, I, I threw it out there and I did a bunch of interviews leading up to the women's NCAA tournament. Had a bunch of coaches that I knew come on with me and just kind of preview their games, um, uh, just give me kind of insight into what they were thinking going into their first round matchups. So that was pretty cool. And I'm going to do that again this year, um, especially start with the startup of the season here in a couple of weeks. I'm going to get that started back up and I produce a podcast um, nothing but net with Debbie Antonelli which uh, ESPN commentator Debbie Antonelli she asked me I guess it was November last year if I wanted to help her out with her uh, podcast and some doing some video editing for her. and so I have three out there in, in the rotation and you'll hear me some on Debbie's podcast, but I'm more in the background on that one, which that's fine with me because she's the voice. <laughs> and
0: off air, you were mentioned that since you came aboard as producer of of Debbie's podcast, um, your um, downloads is it downloads have more than doubled?
2: Yeah, they have. Uh, <laughs> well, that that's for the the that was actually more for the money that she has the 24 hours of nothing but net, uh, marathon, which we tie in, I, I named the podcast, nothing but net to tie it in with that. She has 24 hours, of nothing but net free throw marathon each year that's held in May. And she has celebrities that come on and do interviews. She has, you know, people throughout the basketball world come out in the sports world. She had Dabo Sweeney, people like that, big names. Um, that'll come on and do interviews with her while she, every hour she shoots 100 free throws. She makes, that shoots, makes 100 free throws each hour uh, on, on the top of the hour, uh, cu- culminating in 24, uh, 24 hours. or so, so 2,400 free throws. And she shoots around 90%. I don't know how she done it. Last year was her third year doing it. Uh, she, she shoots around 80, 90, 95% every year. First two years, they raised uh, over $210,000, and I came on board last year uh, and helped out with the team, and we got just north of 190000 and I jokingly told the rest of the team in our post-wrap-up meeting that I take full credit for uh, the almost doubling <laughs> of the money raised, and everything goes to uh, Special Olympics of South Carolina, and we're going to do it again this year, May 14th and 15th, so Maybe we, uh, maybe I can come back on your show and talk about it some more as we get closer to that. Sure, of
0: course. And so let's actually let let's talk podcast promotion. What what okay. are your what are best practices for people out there that thinking of starting a podcast or maybe have recently started? What are best practices for promoting a podcast?
2: Just like we were talking about with uh, what I learned from my coaches that I've been around in my, I've learned. And doing podcasts like i told you when i did the mac and t show i just threw it out there i said t you want to do this she said yes okay we did it we did it all on youtube at first now i say youtube t is not one that likes like you and i we're here on this zoom call mm-hmm. she don't like her face on camera you on video <laughs> so, so we're on youtube but it's all audio, <laughs> and we did that for the first couple of years until I started doing research, trying to figure out how to get it on Apple, trying to get it on uh, Google Play, get it on TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, once I figured all that out and realized that there was no fees involved in any of that, um, I think Apple has a fee now, but you know, obviously, everything else you can line it up, uh, you know, line it up for to put it out there on those different platforms and now we're on all of that so got that podcast and the b-side podcast on all of that as well and when debbie called me and asked me to do hers i told her she kind of laid it out there for all the platforms that i'm on with my other two podcasts and she said sure throw it out there let's do it and And then so so how do you how do you get people to download how do you get people to listen social media i mean you putting it out there and and it's if you have uh, good friends like I have, especially in the women's basketball coaching realm that can, uh, that big names, that can share stuff and you get, I, I can always tell when, you know, I have a big name coach, like even Debbie, as far as whenever she shares something of mine that I put out there or she likes something, people go and my reach automatically jumps up, you know, 100%. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's definitely, I, and and I'm constantly, well, I used to over overload myself on social media because I just refuse to kind of pay for the hoot suite and stuff like that. But I found, um, I found a couple of different things that I'm kind of working out right now, honestly, getting ready to start up this new year with Debbie's podcast on Facebook business suite. I've been popping stuff on there and I'll schedule posts. Okay, I've
0: so what's,
2: what's HootSuite? What's Facebook Business Suite? Okay, HootSuite is something that you can kind of connect all your social medias. You can connect uh, LinkedIn, your Facebook, your Twitter, Instagram. You can connect it all. Uh, and Facebook Business Suite, you can connect Facebook and Instagram together. And you can schedule posts. And that, that has been the biggest benefit for me when I'm getting on these things. Is being able to schedule stuff where I'm not constantly throwing stuff out there day after day after day. I can get take two or three days to just schedule a couple of posts to go out. Like if there's a certain holiday or a birthday that I want to acknowledge, you know, anything like that, I'll have it scheduled, ready to go. And it goes out whenever I want it to go out. Working with this marathon. Ideally, like
0: ideally, how much do you want to, how many posts do you want to have go out in a day or in a week?
2: I try to get maybe I try to force myself to get two or three a week. That's, that'll be a a goal of mine. And like Mm -hmm. I said, they're, they're scheduled. So it's not like I'm constantly on top of that. I'm just, you know, so. You
0: just do like a Sunday afternoon. You schedule all the posts for the week.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a, I also have been through a couple of seminars just especially now in the age of Zoom, which, you know, with the virus, that's the one good thing I can say about the coronavirus is it's giving us Zoom where you can, things, will, you know, how, uh, you'll see things, people will share that they're doing it. They're gonna speak at this clinic or that clinic. And uh, I Paul and someone, I can't remember who it was, about a year ago. And they were talking about a social media marketing seminar free to anyone that wanted to sign up and they had people speaking on there and they were giving out the actual best times to post stuff like you know on different on different platforms so i mean there's like your best times for facebook monday wednesday friday 10 a.m you know somewhere, somewhere around there and they they were giving us all this information i'm just constantly writing they're writing everything down because i'm out there breaking my neck putting a post a day, trying to get people to buy into my podcast when, Hey, I can just uh post at this certain time and that certain time. And and I've seen the the benefits of it. I mean, I guess they really know what they're doing there. So so
0: with your your podcast now, what days and what times do you send posts out? Do you schedule posts?
2: More on, uh, I know with me and the Mac and T show that I do with T, we do all our recording on Mondays. So I'll schedule a post for Monday to let people know that the, to look out for the, and if they subscribe, you know, they, you go it you goes know, straight to your Apple's, your Google plays, wherever you get your podcast, it'll go straight there. So I'll put a post out to let them know that it's coming. The episode is coming. And throughout the week, I may go on maybe like a Wednesday, uh, if something happens in the sports world, because that's a lot of, we do sports, movies, t- TV shows, we talk about all of that. So if anything happens in the sports world, uh, midweek, because inevitably, and it happened so many times, we'll record on a Monday and something will happen while we're recording. And, well, we're not going to come back on because we're just once a week. So we're not going to come back on until next Monday. So I'll post something about letting people know, hey, next Monday, this is what we're going to talk about, ABC, you know. So maybe maybe like Wednesday and then put it out there again on Friday, something like that just
0: so what like what are the biggest lessons you've learned as you become an experienced podcaster
2: for me I, and I, i'm sure there's a lot of people out there like this someone who is not not comfortable like i couldn't sit here and talk by myself and be it's, i'd had to have someone looking back at me or someone you know in the room with me uh, so I've all I found it easier to have a different set like like say I want to do women's basketball like I I'll use that for example, getting someone to come on with me whether it be Zoom whether me going over to their gym and interviewing them, uh, just being able to be there having someone to go back and forth with has definitely been a plus for me because I tried the B side like two two or three years into doing a Mac and T show. I tried to do the B side by myself and I, I was awful. I can admit that I've not being by myself was not for me. (laughs) So uh, yeah, definitely. That's been one of the biggest things, having someone either to interview, if you want to put it that way, have someone to interview or having someone like a co-host you, you and that whole, you going back and forth, talking about things. That's been the biggest thing I've learned and just time management and uh, goes right back to being uh, detail-oriented.
0: Right, right. So say with uh, Nothing But Net, with Debbie Antonelli, her podcast, how much editing do you do after recording?
2: Surprisingly, very little. Mm. Because, I mean, she, she lays it out there with each guest beforehand they kind of know why they're coming on and what they're going to talk about they go and i've just only been maybe two or three guests and we went maybe 40 episodes deep last year during the season maybe two or three that actually wanted me to take this little piece out that little piece out but yeah surprisingly very little because debbie's a professional (laughs) so she she is uh definitely someone who talks for a living and Uh, interviews people all the time so she just rolls right with it
0: you mentioned social media earlier we i we i mentioned social media earlier who's your favorite person to follow on social media
3: oh let's see
2: um i don't know if i have a really just i i follow follow more teams and and you know just I don't, I don't have a really a favorite actual one person one specific who's the guy that that is the uh, i'm blanking on his name the guy that is the showrunner for or the the creator of this is us he's pretty good dan fogelman is it uh, oh, no yeah he, he's pretty good if i had <laughs> okay. to throw out a name that was... yeah and so maybe let's end with
0: with basketball you mentioned that um he is a big Lakers fan. How do you think LeBron and, and Westbrook are gonna to play together?
2: I don't know. This, I she she's thinking that it's gonna be a deal where Westbrook's gonna come in there and he's gonna be happy to, you know, kind of help himself to to a possible championship. He's gonna come in and he's gonna get his triple double because he's with all these other stars and but he's a bald dominant and so it's LeBron so uh, there's talk that LeBron's going to play more in the post this year which i it be it be interesting to see it'd be interesting to see That's all I can I, don't, say. I don't
0: I don't know that LeBron wants to put that mileage on I mean LeBron excels at just kind of going three point line to three point line you know cut down the amount of, of running he's got to do in this day and age in the pace and space era he would have to sprint block to block to get on to get down low
2: that is uh, something I brought up to T. I don't, I don't think that he he's would, not trying uh, to do
0: all that work for eighty-two games. No, and I mean he wants to do.
2: It. He wants to do his one or two times where he barrels down the lane and and you know gets his end one, and that's about one two times a game. There, but the rest of that time he's not, he's not trying to do that. Especially what he's thirty-eight now, so yeah. Who's the Who's the goat? Oh, Michael Jordan. Hopefully. Like, no, no doubt. It, 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 T and I had this argument of her being a Laker fan. Obviously, she's, she loves magic. So, that and it's, it's kind of, going back to bringing my dad into this, he's a big Larry Bird fan. So, the three of us, anytime we've either, you know, been around each other, been on the phone with each other, we it's, it's a constant battle. And me and her know it's good rhythm, you know, just good nature. We just go back and forth with each other. But, you know, uh, yeah, Michael has always been the GOAT for me.
0: That was my conversation with Brian McKay, and third and final conversation for today's episode is with Linda Dunn. Linda is an author's assistant, and she specializes in helping authors with their various social media profiles. In this episode, Linda and I do a deep dive into using Twitter and how authors can use Twitter to support their work. Enjoy. Linda, thank you so much for coming on.
3: It's a pleasure. You so, so you
0: are yes no it's this is the pleasure is all mine and you are the virtual authors assistant people can find you at virtualauthorsassistant.com. that's virtual authors assistant.com and also uh on twitter at done for authors d-u-n-n the number four authors so that's d-u-n-n for authors that's on twitter Could you just talk a little bit about the services you you offer to authors?
3: I help my authors build their author brand and their author platform. And we do this using various tools, a website, um, email list management, uh, social media, and it goes from there. Every author needs something a little bit different. And it depends on what an author has in place already, where we see us in six months or a year, and how we get from now to the vision the author sees.
0: Fantastic. And I think as far as social media, branding, website, email list, newsletters, blogs, you're sort of a one-stop shop for all of that. Is that correct?
3: I Encourage all of those items for my authors, and I will help attain a nice level. It's
0: fantastic. Well, let's dive in with social media. I'm kind of sometimes with these interviews. I find it best to really just dive in deep on one or two subjects. So we were talking off air about Twitter and Instagram. Uh, why don't we start there, and then maybe we'll pick one and talk about best practices? So can you talk about your your thoughts for authors using Twitter, and and Instagram?
3: Both have very strong writing communities and those writing communities are very supportive. By engaging your peers on either platform, you're also bringing their followers along with you. So when an author partners, pairs, shares, reshares, anything on social in those platforms, those other followers will start paying attention to who you are. And that's very important because if you're following the same genre, the potential for a potential reader is also there.
0: With Twitter, what are the keys for audience engagement?
3: Being active, jumping in with comments, don't be shy. Twitter is fantastic and people will respond. The more you put out there, the greater response you're going to
0: have. Generally, the information that I've read is to think about Twitter in stages, right? So there's 100 followers or less, then maybe 100 to 500, 500 to 2,000, 2000 to 5,000, and then over 5,000. And kind of at different stages, you should be thinking about different things. Uh, is that how you look at it, or how do you assess? In terms of Twitter followers, what somebody should be doing?
2: Anything
3: over ten thousand followers, pretty much. You really don't need to be that active. Under ten thousand followers, under a thousand followers, you need to be very active, posting multiple times a day. Give yourself a day off, but really put in the effort if you have under a thousand followers. Five thousand, under five thousand followers. Probably the same thing. You're building an audience. They want to hear what you have to say if they have followed you. So you really need to put that effort in until you hit the goal, which is about 10,000 followers.
0: Mm. So until 10,000, it should be posting basically every day or six days a week at least, multiple times per day.
3: Absolutely.
0: And do you think it's better to post? Threads, better to post photos, short videos, retweeting, quoting. What are your thoughts on all of that?
3: Okay, always with a photo because the photo will stop people as they're scrolling on a mobile device, on their desktop as well. But always with a graphic, a photo, anything visual.
0: So use a visual, and as you're trying to grow to 10,000 followers, is it Better to post threads or to to quote a tweet, to reply to somebody else's tweet, um, to work the hashtags? What do you recommend?
3: All of the above. Retweeting Hmm. is your best way to get someone to pay attention to you. So if you admire a certain author or a genre, get in there and retweet their content if, if it fits your author brand. You don't want to retweet things that don't fit your author brand. Um, hashtags are mandatory. Hashtags are absolutely precious because they filter your content exactly where you want to play. Mm. If you're a children's author, you're going to use children's author, kids lit, kids book, story time, things like that, because the people who are following those things will eventually stumble across your feed because you have targeted. That particular tweet using hashtags. Threads are fine. I think people generally don't want to see a lot of threads because our attention span is that of a goldfish. It's about three seconds if we're lucky. So a thread means you really have to have someone engaged. When you're at the 10,000 followers, you might. When you're under 10,000 followers, maybe not so much. So threads I would do on occasion
0: but it's really the, maybe the two key takeaways are always use a visual and hashtags are your friend.
3: Absolutely. Best friend.
0: Love it. And then uh, one of the things that you mentioned on your website was helping organic growth. What does organic growth mean?
3: It means not paid growth, which that's popular right now every one of us out there on social are approached probably daily by someone wanting to do a pay a pay service to help you grow and they're not people interested in your content organic followers are those that honestly want to see your content whether you found them through hashtags or through fellow authors however you found these people If they have chosen to subscribe to your feed or to follow you, they are your organic growth. That's what you want because they're a potential reader. Uh, A paid service that finds you followers, they have no value or invested interest in your content. They've been paid for their service to show up.
0: Right. It's interesting. I, uh, so I'm, uh, meditation is important to me. And I found a meditation Twitter. Um, handle that I started following had more than 300,000 followers, but their post might get 30 likes and maybe one comment. And it's sort of clear that they probably bought a whole bunch of followers because there's no engagement. So I think if you have organic growth in followers that naturally want to follow you, then it follows that, no pun intended, that engagement rate is much higher, right? Exactly.
3: Exactly. The author also has to get involved with engagement. You can just churn out content, but if you're not actively engaging your followers, you're talking to yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I really encourage. I do offer that as part of my social services is to help authors with that engagement.
0: So what does that mean, engaging your followers?
3: Finding a reason to talk to one person, find somebody that you have something, anything that you can tie together because that makes us feel better uh, as a follower. Hey, somebody called me out. They, you know, we're interested in, and it's not just hitting that like button. It's actually saying something. And we all need to do that. It, It builds the warm and fuzzy. And it does help us sell books.
0: Do you recommend that that is a DM or an at or a reply to somebody else's who's following you to one, to, to one of their tweets? What's the best practice there?
3: Not a direct message. That Until you have been in, uh, engaged with that person for a period of time, the direct messages we're getting now mostly are just spam. You know, nobody wants that. or Hey, you followed me, buy my book. Not cool. Um, Tagging someone is good, but tag them appropriately so that it ties back to something they commented on. Um, Making comments on their posts, commenting to back, replying back to a comment they've made. It is full on engagement, and I suggest my authors sit down and spend 15 minutes a day on each platform just finding someone to engage Mm. it doesn't matter how many you can do but you will see if you can give that 60 or 90 days 15 minutes a day you will see a difference
0: that's a great tip how do you coach your clients to look at statistics analytics
3: i usually offer that as part of my service but you can go into twitter twitter shares analytics with you and it's fairly nice instagram shares uh, a little bit more and they will show you when the majority of your followers are on and that is when you want to be posting your content you know there's no point in posting 12 hours after the majority of your followers are Uh, Instagram also shares where your followers are at in the world. And so that does come into play for why maybe you have a a flurry of followers at 3am. But Mm. it is something to be considered.
0: And off air, you mentioned that that you think it's important to be on both Twitter and Instagram. So what are the keys to using Instagram productively?
3: the same as Twitter, being active, engagement, building your following, um, using live feed, using stories, video is where it's at, but your followers are totally different. The writing community is different between Instagram and Twitter. Their Instagram is very nurturing. Twitter is very inclusive. They're both Mm. absolutely wonderful, but so different. And so I also encourage my authors to have a Facebook author page um, because we all go to Facebook to find someone. But Instagram and Twitter is where it's at.
0: That's so interesting. Twitter is nurturing. Instagram is inclusive.
3: No, the other way.
0: Oh. Instagram
3: is more nurturing. Gotcha. And Twitter is more inclusive. Mm.
0: So what do you mean by nurturing?
3: How your fellow writing community, like genre authors, are willing to help you along.
0: So how did you end up in this, in this business, in this community, and working with authors?
3: I worked for an editor for a while. And she's like, you have a really great attention to detail. And that's kind of my personality, I'm a great background person, and I do have attention to detail. And then I went to work for an octogenarian author, and I worked for him full time for more than a year. And that was it. He was great fun, which made the job even better. And from then, I started helping an author here and author there, and it's been a full time job for six years.
0: Fantastic. What's it like working with authors?
3: I love it. I love it. They're bright. They're fun. They always have something in the works as creatives do. It's it's wonderful. I, I love all of my authors. I'm very lucky.
0: Mm, fantastic. Well, tell people where they can find you.
3: Uh, virtualauthorsassistant.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Facebook, of course, LinkedIn. And all those links are
0: available on my website. Fantastic. So virtualauthorsassistant.com. If you need help, Linda Dunn is there to support. Thanks so much, Linda.
3: Have an awesome afternoon.
0: Those are my conversations with Pam Borton, Brian McKay, and Linda Dunn. This is Ben Guest, and you can find all of my work at benbo.substack.com. That's benbow.substack.com. Have a great day.